I'm co-host James Ash. And I'm co-host Phil Scaife. Welcome to The Business Lockdown. Welcome to today's episode. Uh, February, we're featuring a theme of opportunity in an uncertain world. We're exploring planning, strategy, chaos, stress, and loss of revenue. And we're joined today by James Sinclair. And there's no body better placed uh, to look at chaos, uh, trying to work on strategy, loss of revenue than James, especially when you look at his YouTube documentary uh, titled How We Made Six Figures in a Pandemic. James is uh, he's run farm attractions, day nurseries, family entertainment centres, and has a lot of interest in commercial property. James, thank you for joining us today. How are you doing? James and Phil, thank you very much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. How uh, how are times right now, mate? I mean, it, it just looking at love your documentary, and we will thank we you. will we will we will certainly touch on that. Um, a lot of a lot of calmness coming from yourself in that documentary, despite the uh, the ever-changing environment that you found, your, uh, found yourself in. But how does life look like, like right now uh, as, as we've uh, kind of entered 2021? Well, look, I, I think coronavirus has caused a lot of heartache for lots of business owners, people, entrepreneurs, and just people in general. And what, what I feel comforted by is I'm not the only one in the boat. You know, there's millions and millions of us, hundreds of billions of us around the world that are going through this huge seismic change. Um, and so I think I've probably have been accused of being a bit too calm about all of this. Um and excited about the next stages of everyone's lives and I do think there's good things to come um, but yeah I have been calmer than most would be in my position I would say but they're not in my position the people that say I'm too calm but I'm speaking to lots of business owners and I'm saying look yeah we're all in the same boat you know we're everyone's in the same boat and there's going to be the amount of opportunities that are coming down the road because of coronavirus the zoo that we've just bought happened because of coronavirus we're buying another company that happened because of coronavirus i bought an industrial state i managed to get better terms to buy that because of coronavirus and i think what you have to do is look for these opportunities within the darkness and i think everyone needs to remind themselves the same amount of money exists in the world all the time it just stays in people's pockets a little bit longer or moves into different pockets and you just got to follow where that hungry audience is where that new revenue is going uh, and get on with it i mean i'll give you another quick example i make teddy bears i've made over a million teddy bears uh, for our company teddy tastic we're a wholesale business and we have been for the last five years of running it last year all of our wholesale customers theme parts holiday parts that bought from us turned off all their orders we literally lost seven hundred and fifty thousand pounds worth of orders overnight we thought to ourselves look we, in our warehouse, we had over half a million pounds worth of stock of teddy bears. True story, by the way. Um, and I thought, well, what are we going to do about this? So we became a B2C business. And actually, when the world goes back to normal, we're going to have a really strong B2C business and a really strong B2B wholesale business. And so that business is going to be in better shape. It's not in better shape for the current year, but going forward, I mean, uh, we're selling loads on Amazon and Etsy and on eBay and direct on our website, all those things that we've been forced to do. We've been talking about it for years, and oh, we should really do some B2C, we should really do to B2C. But, you know, we're all busy on the wholesale because that's where all the, the main stuff comes from. But we've done all the work now. So when it all goes back to normal, we'll continue to enjoy, I reckon we'll probably end up doing half a million of b2c sales from a standing point of zero 12 months ago um, and we'll grow our wholesale business so that's going to become an even better business and that's coronavirus has forced our hand on that i'm just looking for the positives in this although whilst knowing that I've got some real challenges ahead. When the challenges are going to come, when the government remove all their support, for example, you know, all of our landlords, um, I'm lucky I own a lot of the commercial property that we operate out of, but we do have property that we rent out. And we, when we haven't been allowed to trade, we haven't paid our landlords their rent. So, um, and we're protected at the moment. They can't do nothing to us um, until the end of March. And I'm sure the government are going to extend that by another three or four months. But at some point... Um, they're going to come a knocking, and I've got to deal with that and manage that situation. There's there's a there's a, so much to go out there and for the episode as well. And you, you touched on an area that I, I want to come to uh, later in the episode, uh, which was one on one of your videos where you 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 sell 
uh, teddy bears that you you make a big order on from China before you've made the order. So you you know you you you're selling up front before taking the risk and we'll touch on that how you can you know reduce your risk in this uh, this current climate and the, these uncertain times that we're facing but i want to take us back james because you entered the crazy world of business as a teenager and i'm really hungry to uh, to to understand what that looked like at that time how old you were uh, what was your your start into business and and, and why well i i loved entertaining people and I loved business. I was the kid at school selling sweets and um, I just combined the two together and I set up a, an entertainment agency called Jimbo the Party Man, which became the Party Man Company. And we became one of the largest children's entertainment agencies in the UK. Um, and then I just, I, and I also always wanted to own visitor attractions, zoos and theme parks. I was, you know, I had that urge to do that from a very young age and so what I did is I worked out the steps of how I get there if I became an entertainment company built up a swapping time for money business as time trundled on I realized that I needed to always think bigger and the bigger you think the less people operate in the space and so what I've done as my journey's developed I've got rid of companies that we were running where people could be in the me too space and when i say me too is that's a good idea me too i'll do that and i've developed my businesses to become higher barrier to entry so that we compete with less people and what was that and does that answer that, the question that, yeah and i'm curious and what what length so how old were you when you went into business and and when did you achieve that that first major coup that that major purchase um that you you set out to achieve well not uh, very quickly as a sole trader, I got very busy very quickly. I was doing earning between a thousand and fifteen hundred pound a week as a 16, 17 year old, which is a lot of money. Um, but I was busy, literally like doing 15 gigs a week. I had no time. I sacrificed all my time to generate as much cash for the business as possible. So I bought a house when I was 18, bought another house when I was 19, another one when I was 20. Um, and then when I was 20, I remortgaged those properties because it was just before the crisis with Lloyds Bank and that gave me the money plus I borrowed 750,000 ish from 24 different loan lenders 21 or 42 I can't remember now but it was a lot of loan lenders and I built our first venue Party Man World in Basildon Essex um, and that business we in its first year with our entertainment agency we got past that million pounds worth of revenue but huge risk and all I was doing was generating cash and paying all these loans um, but once I got through I got through yeah so it sounds like you had quite a quite a plan and strategy in place did you I, how I much of it was rolling I, with the punches and how much was a strategy um, I was a lover of books very young um, I read Losing My Virginity by Richard Branson that sort of gave me permission to actually Real success is building a management team around you. Um, you know, that isn't bullshit. That is a real thing. If you can build a great management team around you, you will have a chance of building something so much stronger and better because usually entrepreneurs don't have that management DNA and management don't have entrepreneurial DNA. Um, and so I worked really hard on bringing people in so that I employed people at 17. I had a, you know, by the time I was 20, I had 25 staff, you know, that it was, you know, and I, I invested in people that allowed me to go and grow the company whilst they operated the company. Um, and yeah, that, that's what I always did. Um, yeah. How does that answer the question? <laughs> yeah, it's, you you got the vision from from books to start off with, and ah, then yeah, yeah, I got the vision from books and and being surrounded by great people um, and learning from other business owners that I would just meet up and have a chat with. But I did have, I don't know, I think because I lost my mum when I was sixteen, left home, I I, I just had to survive. Um, and I knew what I wanted to build a national brand around Party Man. I knew I wanted to build a company that people loved working for. Um, and I knew I wanted to build it bigger. But I realised I had to take some steps to get it. The early days, funding, all the time, funding um, is such a challenge for entrepreneurs if you want to do it through the banks. It's not a challenge if you want to get venture capitalists and private equity involved. But yeah, I suppose I did. And I, it's, you know... Well, I always talk about the eight traits of the great, and one of them is thinking with the end in mind, having a powerful vision, and I suppose I did have that. Yeah. 
and James, how much did the the loss of your mum at sixteen um, play into into your business journey, and and how did that business journey help, uh, if at all, with with your loss of, of your mum at that at that age? If that makes sense. Yeah, I was sad about it. I lost my granddad, who was my driver, because he was taking me to all my gigs in the early day, and they all mm. happened within four months. It was a real torrid time. Um, and I feel really bad about it and sad about it. And I just thought, well, life's so short. And I suppose they, what what, what I learned from mum being really ill, she had MS, was that your body's a really frail. And I was running a business that was swapping time for money. Literally, as a magician, your hands make all your money. And so that also gave me the uh, power to build an agency and build income that wasn't reliant on me is probably why I invested into property at such a young age as well um, so yeah all those things all of those things make a huge uh, impact on my decision making of building something that wasn't just centered around me took some time to do sort of three or four years but I think by the time I got to sort of 22 I thought no I can actually if I was ill now if I broke my leg or um, got seriously sick some income would still come in and that was a big aha moment for me and, and you have, talk you, about have you always oh, had the uh, sorry yeah I was gonna say you, you obviously mindset being such a such an asset arguably one of the biggest assets and mm. you've come you were saying about through the pandemic you know we're all in the same boat we weren't we're not all in the same boat because obviously different businesses and different industries have, have bounced of but you particularly um being in the event space you must have been particularly hard hit but your mindset and positivity is is, is probably higher than anyone that i've spoken to who's actually has actually thrived in so well, have you well, phil let, let me tell you now i will always seek out opportunity but i've had some dark days um throughout all of this I've been fed up being in lockdown um, I've had some days where I'm dealing with stuff that I don't want to deal with as a business owner that's you know that the only that the pandemic would made us deal with so I'd I hate dealing with management stuff I much prefer growing leading being entrepreneurial however this has forced me to deal with situations that I would class as way more management um so so I have had some sad times, don't get me wrong. I mean, a couple of weeks ago, I left the office at 2 o'clock and went home and just got into bed and stayed there till 7 o'clock, then came down. And the second I got in, I said to my missus, I said, I just can't talk to anyone. I just need to be on my own and go to bed. And um, I was exhausted with it all. Um, but yeah. luckily for me, those things, <laughs> when that happens, and that happens in in the good times as well, probably once or twice a year, because I am only a human being. I'm not some superhero person. I don't think anyone is. Um, and But I'm lucky I get over it quite quickly. I have quite good bounceability. I get on and move forward. Um, and I'm surrounded by a team that inspires me to keep on going. And I think... If, if anyone ever takes anything from me, I hope it's that building a team around you, a really good team, can help you get through dark times because they, 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 they pull you up as much as you as an owner pull them up when it's tough in business. And, the, the, you know, you, you, if you get that great team around you, you can, you can take on anything. Yeah. I'm eager to uh, delve into to kind of that, that management team around you a little bit more. But uh, before we before we uh, go down that path, I'm just curious on um, what... what um, what helps you? What, what what do you do as downtime to keep yourself energized, sane, fit, um, healthy? All of those things. What what does that normally look like? And and are you is that religiously so? You you know you you're doing something on a daily basis, or is it peaks and troughs? And um, James, I'm not good at all that stuff. Right. Um, I hate exercise. I don't drink. I don't smoke. I've never even tried a cigarette. Um. I've got a real sugar craving that I've got to sort out. Um, I love biscuits. I love sweets. Um, uh, I, I love fizzy drinks, and I haven't had a I haven't had a fizzy drink this year. Actually, I'm trying to cut them out. I drink more water than ever, you know. Uh, but I am trying to cut those things down. So food is something that I do love. I did have a personal trainer for two and a half years. Then he moved away and I saw that as a great excuse not to replace him. <laughs> um, and actually I did start getting to like it, but you know, like, and I will, I'm moving house and it's got a gym in that house. And so I'm going to get back on it and stuff. Um, 
but yeah, no, no, I'm not great at being some fit fanatic. Um, however, I make time to really think, and that I've always done. And probably two, two and a half hours a day on my own um, before I go to bed. So if I, once I'm in bed, um, I, you know, and, um, I'll have two and a half hours to really think before I go to sleep. Um, but sleep is also really important to me. I don't set an alarm ever. I wake up naturally. Um, unless I've got to catch a plane or a, it's a real... So 300 days of the year, I don't set an alarm. I wake up naturally and I go into work off-peak. So I come in usually at 10 o'clock. That, no, that never. sounds like... Yeah, that sounds like the dream. That sounds sounds really, lo- I sounds never really do, lovely. I avoid traffic at all costs because it really gets on my tits. Um, so I, I completely avoid it. I can't believe I've just said that. Sorry. Um, <laughs> no, no. Right, <laughs> uh, so I... And, I'm, no, and to me, success. I'm, with, I'm with you on that. The thing about the the whole traffic um, situation, I, I I don't understand how. Like, if it was me, I'd either be like in at stupid o'clock in the morning to uh, to to be ahead of the game and and um, evade uh, traffic jams, or you'd be hitting trying to hit the gym locally, which means you'd get there and avoid the traffic and then roll into work normally. Or as you say, yeah, arrive later and, and stay longer or work from home. But um, and, and I think that's it's incredible now with the pandemic, how, how it is now for people working remotely. And it's more employers now that are, are open, um, opening themselves up to that way of working. And as, as all of how my, is that? All of my senior team come and go when they like. They can have as many holidays as they like. I manage them on output, not input. Um, they don't tell me when they're coming in and when they're going. And I've always been of that mindset because that's the way I live. However, they've got to be present. Some people have taken the piss out of us and we've removed those um, luxuries from them, if you like, um, as time's trundled on. But most most of our people have really benefited from that freedom and we've got more out of them as an organisation. The organisation has benefited. They've benefited because they can just go and see their school play, go to the dentist and never have to ask and never know that it's going to be a worry. They just put it in their diary so that we know that we don't have to... Um, book anything for them so yeah i've always yeah. believed in that uh, who wouldn't want to work like that has it always been like that within your your setup only that senior team obviously we've got a chain of day nurseries if they did that we've got a problem <laughs> you know but um, yeah yeah but anyone that's not to service um you know pretty much have the freedom to work from home whenever they like um and come in whenever they like leave and start whenever they like as long as the job's done yeah yeah, and and often with with that approach, I, I've experienced it in uh, in teams before, where that works until somebody literally takes the piss, and then what often yeah. and then what and people do is, take the piss, got, but then they're gone. Right, interesting. Yeah, because historically, what that that's okay as long as it works, and then one person ruins it, and then it often is the case the the quickest route is to just stop that luxury altogether, and then the majority. Um, stop benefiting from that because one person couldn't pull away or or um, or be disciplined, yeah. and you don't do it. You just simply get rid um, of those. Yeah, um, I'm not talking about my senior team here. So out of 600 yeah. staff, we're talking about our 15 senior people that that have that. And they're people that are really. I mean, they put way more in. You know, they they send emails at midnight because that's when they found time to do it to work around their family because once you've got a family um you know that becomes an important part of your life doesn't it and you've really only got a window of six or seven years um where your children are young and they really really need you and we respect that and, and we want to respect that um so yeah that, that's how i believe that we should be and with regards to your management team what um with, with your with your 45 minute documentary on YouTube and we'll put the link in the in the episode copy and, and really encourage people to go and watch that uh, title how we made six figures in a pandemic and there's there's loads to go at with that and um, but talking about the management team there's a there's a there's a, a very short clip uh, of you having a meeting with your management team and you're kind of problem solving and, and strategizing and what really stood out was just the dynamics uh, and it wasn't so much what was said it was just how you all where you you relaxed, you clearly trust each other. There's a, a wonderful way of, of working, and um, and you you clearly that's that's been a process and a and a journey to get to that point. And in the in the documentary, you bring back your old marketing 
uh, lead. Uh, he he'd left you yeah. and, and and you brought him back. And how how was how was that bringing uh, an ex member of the team back into the into the fold when essentially you've you've then got a set up team. You settled. Somebody's left you. There's a pandemic. Everything you know, all all rules are off, and uh, you bring a, an ex team member back in. How did that play out? Well, so we brought people back. I mean, uh, one of my team that have been with me for a long time jazz went off to work for nickelodeon then came back um you know so if people do want to come back um and he had an events business and obviously it was decimated and i thought i could help and i thought yeah he's good let's bring him back um and yeah i, I featured him in the documentary uh as well as with the rest of the team but i believe in e plus m equals s that's entrepreneurship plus management equals success you know they can you just can't have too much leadership. Actually, when it comes down to it, what really gets things going is management. Um, and the way I describe this is, imagine running a school with no teachers and just having a head teacher. Or imagine running a school with just a teacher but no innovative leadership-style head teacher that's going to drive the school forward to the next level. And those students need both. They need the head teacher and they need the teachers. And when I look at a successful organisation and I think of all the things that we've done super successfully, I always think, you know, businesses need leadership and management or case on case, entrepreneurship and management. Um, and I think what that documentary shows that I was like, yeah, this is what we're going to do. We can do this. We can bring in this. It will help us get through. I was giving all the vision leadership statements and then I was saying to the team, now you've got to go and manage the day-to-day, -day, the minute-to-minute, the hour-to-hour -hour stuff to make that happen. And hopefully that documentary shows the difference between leadership and management. And do you want to give our uh, our listeners and, and viewers a, a bit of insight into that documentary before they uh, before they go and, and click yeah, they go yeah, and, so what, and click on the link? What I wanted to do is obviously we we've got assets. Um, we, you know, our business generates between eight hundred and fifty and one point five million pounds a month, depending on the month it is. Coronavirus came along and. In the lockdown months, only our day nurseries were trading, so we were generating maximum of quarter of a million pound a month, and our bills are horrendous. And I just thought, look, we've got this asset, retail's allowed to open before leisure, let's go and build a Christmas and a farm shop. I bought a couple of big tops and this big barn that we had and we converted it into a farm shop and we were doing really, really well. And then we got closed down by the local authority because we were seen as non-essential retail and we put all of that into the dock. But we would, do, we would have done the million pounds turnover in that 12 months. Um, I think we got to about 780 um, because um, we were locked down again. Um, but it was going really well. We've made profit from that. I reckon we contributed about 170 grand to the business from that as well. So, you know, that pays some bills. Um, I call it contribution because all of our businesses contribute to our head office. Um, so, yeah, look, look, we enjoyed making that. And I wanted to do something that we could do after the pandemic. So that, those businesses are now part of us and they'll stay part of us and continue to be part of us. And is it fair to say you've got you've got a, a fair bit of stock for Christmas twenty twenty one or uh... yeah 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 I'd say <laughs> I reckon we're sitting on about one hundred and fifty grand's worth of stock right now. Wow. Incredible. Well, look, yeah, we, we, we've looked back at, at you starting to business and uh, and the documentary there, and. Um, with part of our February theme is how to plan and look at the opportunities in, in 2021. And uh, it's an area which I'm eager to delve in deep into. And, uh, you know, a lot of people during this pandemic, James, has, have, have delved into Netflix and uh, absorbed a, a number of uh, um, series and uh, episodes. And I'm wondering how, how much of um, Joey Exotic was at play for you buying a zoo. Were you going to be uh, Jim Exotic, Essex's version of the lion of the tiger? King? We, we, we did put that out as a, um, a little uh, post on Instagram, and we like we superimposed my face on. Uh, <laughs> so we did do that, but I watched I think one episode, and um, I, but I know loads of people loved it. And then I just didn't get hooked on it. But I do love I do love movies. I do love series that if they grab me, I'm in. You know, I'm all in. Uh, <laughs> So yeah, you'll have to send us that that photograph. You definitely have to send it's us. It's on my Instagram. It's on my Instagram. 
We'll check that out. But tell it. Tell us about the zoo. What? What? You know the. Yeah. So basically, when I bought Marsh Farm, it was a visitor attraction, losing between four hundred, five hundred thousand pounds a year. I bought it off the local government. We reinvigorated it with energy, effort, and enthusiasm. The three E's that I think really takes a business to the next level. Um, I got in, done the best I could to turn Marsh Farm around. We now, well, this year we will make. Marsh Farm will make nearly a million pounds, even in the uh, the coronavirus year. Um, it's just our indoor businesses that have lost loads of money. So what we make in one hand, we give on the other. Um, <laughs> and the VAT reductions and the business rates reductions have helped that, but it's still not enough to... I think for the first time ever this year, we'll break even um, when we always make about a million quid profit. So that's that's the real heartache of coronavirus. But we'll, we'll zoom back next year. And this zoo is a very similar story to Marsh Farm. And that's why I told you this. Basically, um, what we've done at Marsh Farm, Lee Valley was run by another authority, another council, and they, they put it out to tender. And we said, look, we'll come in, we'll love it, we'll look after it. Um, and... I think I said to them something that I think made them decide that we should buy it. And they had five people really wanting to buy it. Um, I said, see, the thing is, like Marsh Farm and like the Valley Animal Adventure Park, we never really feel like we own these businesses. We just feel like we're looking after them for the next generation. Um, and I think that struck a chord with them and the boom, that done the deal. Because that's how we do feel about these businesses. You know, I make a lot of money from commercial property. I know how to do that really well, but I continue to invest into zoos and carousels and trains and and building adventure parks because that is where my passion lies. I love delivering happy days out for families. I love delivering um, to my team to see them go to the next level. I love running childcare businesses. Uh, that's what I'm really passionate about. So it gives me loads of resilience to carry on and whilst I'm going to need a lot of resilience to carry on with this zoo that we're buying, you know, it's been closed for 18 months. It's got bloody meerkats and zoobies and all of these things that haven't seen visitors for 18 months. They were losing before they closed a couple of hundred thousand pound a year, but we've done it at Marsh Farm and I believe we can do it here. And it's a whisker off the M25. So anyone that knows that road that circulates London knows that this is a really good place to be. And um, we're going to turn it around. We're going to get wallabies there. We're going to get lemurs, squirrel monkeys. I cannot wait. And we're going to do glamping and camping and all of this stuff. Um, and we're going to reinvigorate and bring it back. What I like doing, if you look at my history, I, I bought lots of failing businesses and turned them around. I love buying family brands that families love. Um, and especially those where the owners of them have lost the energy, enthusiasm and effort. But they've been around for a few decades. Everyone knows them. You just have to go and put some magic polish on it and bring it back to its former glory. And we're about to do that with another company we're buying locally as well, which is a really, it's a sort of 85, 90 year old business. Again, it's a brand that families love, um, which is what, see our big vision for our company is to build, build profitable brands that families love love and that keeps us yeah we've got to be commercial but we only want to do things that families love so that's why everything that i've got um are all centered around the family market love that and what your relationship with passion and profit there which you touched on james was uh it seems you, that the profit is not essentially where your areas of passion are but your areas of passion then inevitably run into profit because of that. Now I'm curious, yeah. it's that relationship and when does, what, what, when does that passion when does the passion run away with itself and you have your your team around you maybe shaking their heads and bringing you back down to reality at times or is that not at play? I think you know we do things for a profit. I don't, you know um, we 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 care about making profit because that allows us to do bigger things. The more profit we make, the more we can grow our company. Um, and the more adventurous we can be, the more we can borrow at better rates to really accelerate what we w want to do. My argument to people is, if I just wanted to make money, I would just do commercial property. But I like running these types of businesses. They infuse me. They give me passion. And therefore, when things are tough, I have resilience. And this is, when I talk about the eight traits of the great, I was just finding this, I, I will send this to you. We, um, it's number one, they start with the end in mind. 
Number two, you're passionate about what you do. And because you're passionate, you get number three, which is untold amounts of resilience. Um, number four, create great relationships with people. Um, I think that's a real core attribute of super successful people. Number five, commercial awareness. Because you can be really passionate about something, have plenty of resilience, but if it don't make any money, then the market will take you out. Um, number six, you're a born innovators. And I, I honestly, honestly believe this. If you don't innovate, your business will evaporate. The world is going through a constant process of innovation and it's really important that you're constantly innovating even when you're at the top of your game. I'll give you a case-in-case case example of this. If you think about Sony at the end of the 90s, they were the technology innovators and they thought, right, we're, we're, we're here, we're the kingpins. They slowed down on their innovation. This bloke called Steve Jobs came along and out-innovated them. Now, Sony are still there, and I'm not saying that they're going to go anywhere, but I don't think anyone now in 2020 would say they are the technology innovators of the world. Um, but they would have in the 1990s. They absolutely would have said Sony were the kingpins, but they just stopped innovating. They rested on their laurels. So what business owners need to do, even when you're at the top of your game, you need to carry on innovating. Number seven, you're a born marketeer. I spend more of my time on getting customers and marketing and getting our message out there than any other part of the business. I spend 80% of my time on income-producing activities and growing our business rather than operating our business. And number eight, you stay teachable. Um, you know, I bought two books over the weekend, The One Thing and The Compound Effect. Someone recommended them to me. I'm reading them. I started reading them last night. I constantly go on webinars, webinars, and listen to podcasts. And I've always gone to seminars, live seminars, when the world goes back to normal, even though I do all that stuff myself. Um, I just really think it's important that entrepreneurs stay teachable so that they can learn the new stuff to grow their business. So that's what I call the eight traits of the great. Yeah, I like that. Stay, stay teachable as well, because that comes back to you as well, because you you seem to get a, a buzz out of teaching as well. I've dived into your podcast, um, which incidentally, I listen to audio on one and a half speed and you're the first person who I can't do it with. You're that fast and, and, and quick, quick fire. <laughs> I've, had to, yeah. I've had to cut it back well, to get them it's weird because today I, I was I was thinking about myself. I'm much more slowed down today. I think it's because you're driving yeah. it and I'm just answering the questions. Yeah, I mean, yeah. So basically, on my podcast, I, I, I some people have not enjoyed it because I'm quite mean to them. But you know, I think for us, like, yeah, I've got half hour of my time here, and I'm going to change your life, <laughs> flipping do what I told you. Notice that you you're very to the to the point with people. You, you yeah. you're not you're not scared of saying blah blah blah. On with it. Yeah, yeah, that's, well, yeah, so basically it's a coaching, it's half hour of coaching. People have got to have three challenges, um, and we've changed it now. They have three challenges that stopping them growing their business and five questions they would like to ask me to grow their business. Uh, so the, the 140 that we've done, and actually this, this it's talking about is osmosis, how things develop. Someone at the end of probably six episodes ago, 10 episodes ago, they said, James, I've got some questions for you. And I loved it, like what you're doing now. And it gave it a new spin on it because actually most people have the same challenges um it's cash flow they can't get enough customers their mindset's in a problem um uh and or they're trying to be the entrepreneur and the manager and they're not building a team around them they're trying to do too much and then they have this overwhelm so that it's always around those core challenges but people like listening to those challenges because they go yeah it's not just bloody me there's other people that have got problems when they're in business and so we have those conversations um and then they're now asking me five questions at the end and they are always different actually very strangely um they might go to a similar theme but they are different to their sector so yeah and, and they might be more on investing strategies but it, yeah i love doing it um and um, it's really helped um and yeah and i love running the entrepreneurs university which is i used to run seminars but obviously can't do that anymore can you and i used to speak on stages a lot which i love doing i can't do that anymore so i just took that business and turned it into the entrepreneurs university so i created modules on literally what every single sphere of entrepreneurship that i could think about including property investment and put it into the entrepreneurs university so people can do it wherever they are in the world yeah and moving on moving through 2021 um do you have um Anything that you've that you've learned through the pandemic, which you're going to focus more on, is there is there is there any sector that you think you would focus on more, 
or anything you definitely wouldn't do moving forward? Yep. Childcare, I'm going to focus more on childcare because, look, if you want to be successful in business and build something that someone wants to buy, and you should always be building a business to sell, even if you have no intention of selling it, because it puts all the right disciplines on you to grow your business in the right way. Um, what I've learned from my childcare business is it's roaring. It's going fantastic. Uh, and it's a love-want-need business. And I talk about this as one of the perfect business traits. If people love what you do, they want what you do, but crucially, they need what you do, you'll always be in business. And most of us have love-want businesses. Most of my businesses are love-want. People love days out. They want days out. But hang on a second, if they haven't got the money and there's a coronavirus pandemic, they don't need them. And so that's why I think we see restaurants, nightclubs, bars and leisure really have a struggle. But when you look at childcare businesses, accountancy practices, dentists, their love, want and need. You've got a sore tooth. You're going to love your dentist for sorting it out. You want him to sort it out. You need him to sort it out. And so then love, want, need businesses are the best ones to be involved in. And childcare is that for me. We've opened two nurseries during coronavirus, one in Cambridge um, uh, and one in Ipswich. And uh, one of them is only six months old and it's going to go into break even usually takes 18 months for a nursery to go to break even so you know brilliant and so i'm going to open more of them bad boys yeah it's interesting because you you said earlier on about how there's um there's there's the same amount of money in the world there's in there's enough money and and it'll it'll be shared out again in the future it's, it flows through yeah. Um, and if you've got that mindset, mindset here's a great you, here's a great phrase for you as well. Similar, it's about this about monies and pockets. It's slightly off, but I, I want to share it with you because it's come into my head. Yeah. If you took all the money from the wealthiest people in the world and distributed it evenly, it wouldn't take long to go back to the original pocket. How about that one for you? I like that one. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, your question. Yeah. Sorry. So, so your mindset is obviously not one of scarcity. It's it's one of abundance. Because you, you don't you don't seem to feel threatened by literally giving away your knowledge, which is arguably your biggest asset. You know, you'll you'll you're quite happy to talk about your strategies. You're very you're very open and giving in that in that respect. Because most people don't implement. You think it's action? Action is the Yeah, I mean what what I hate about getting older is you get more knowledge and I don't take the risks that I did as an 18, 19, 20, 20, 22, 23 year old because I know more. Yeah. And I'll tell you the other thing, Phil, when you build a business and you start building left tenants around you, they become insurance policies on your decision making and they hold you back. Um, you, you, if you're building a great team, it's like a democracy, let me tell you that. Now, why I do think we're a democratic dictatorship so there is a slight dictatorship i.e me that has the final decision lots of things happen in my business that my team are making the decisions for now um and that allows me to think with an abundance mindset because i know that they're looking after what we've got so i can continue to grow it so that i can grow their personal development their income as our business grows and makes more money yeah <laughs> what did your insurance policy think to the zoo idea yeah, it's fine. Yeah, they'll be fine. It's, it's no, zoos are much safer than farms. Um, uh, as long as you don't have tigers, we won't have tigers and all of that stuff. Um, we'll be, you know, small zoo animals. Uh, but there's more risks with farm animals with zoonosis and E. coli. You know, sheep, bloody hell. Let me tell you now, sheep, you know, if you're pregnant and you touch a sheep and it's got it's carrying certain diseases, that's really dangerous, much more than a lemur. <laughs> I'm not going to bore everyone on this podcast about <laughs> the safe animal contact of farm parks, but yeah, let me tell you, there's more on a farm park than a zoo. That's maybe maybe a new podcast route for you, James. Is going uh, niche. And <laughs> um, we talk we talk about opportunities in 2021, and um, and also I really want to ask you the the because incredible importance on reducing risk um, in in business. And um, there's one of your videos where I touched on you. You um you you're gonna make a huge order to buy uh, a number of toys, soft toys, and you actually test the market. So you look to sell them yeah. before they before you actually place the order yourself. And then you the, there's a video where you you take a Google uh, Maps image of a yard, and then you sell it yeah. out. I always do that. <laughs> can you can you give us a, first of all what, a bit of what insight? What I like to do. 
Uh, what I like to do is when you start a business, it's really hard. I mean, even when you're really successful, like I know someone right that's worth probably a hundred million quid. They're so wealthy that they don't even live in this country. They live in a in a tax haven. Even him at his level, he still struggles to get all the finance he needs for all the opportunities he's got, and he's got swathes of property. I'm not saying it's not impossible for him, but it's still a challenge. So, however successful you get raising funding. Running, running the cash flow of a business is continually creative, unless you're Jeff Bezos. But you know, like it, it's constant. You're always looking for ways to suck um, to fill the gap. And banks are nervous of entrepreneurs. They are nervous of entrepreneurs, and I think they're more nervous of the super successful ones because they know that they've now got more ammunition and resource to make bigger decisions in many ways. So I wanted to start Teddy Tastic. Basically, this we we run Christmas grottos, and one of the gifts um, that we do is a make a bear teddy bear. And the way we wanted to do it, no one would manufacture. So I checked it out in China, and I th- to make it all work, we needed to buy a quarter of a million quid's worth of stock. So I knew I was some of them, but I went to other visitor attractions and said to them, "Look, I'm making these. I've got some samples. Would you like to place an order?" I got all their orders, got the cash in so that I was sure that there was a demand for that business. And what most people do, especially when I'm going on Clubhouse and on these and sit on panels, everyone wants to raise money before it's tried, tested and proven. And it's really difficult, not obviously impossible, but really difficult. And so I always say, if you want to raise money, if you can say, look, I've already sold X amount of pounds worth of stuff or X units, that becomes way more investable. And so before I want to invest any money, um, most of the time, I've taken some, you know, gut instinct views. Uh, most of the time, when it's a big thing, I I test the market and I just see if someone's going to pay me for it before I go and dive in and spend the money. And so I, I own in quite a lot of commercial property, and I've got some yard space, and I thought could build a couple of yards here and rather than investing in all the metal fencing and everything and the porter cabin i just google imaged a picture of a yard and i documented it on the youtube channel and it wasn't my yard and i just put it on facebook marketplace and said i've got a couple of yards for rent i was inundated and i thought right that's fine i'll go and spend the money and um because I knew that there was a hungry audience there. And that's one of the big things about being successful in business. If you really want to be successful, choose a business where there is a hungry audience. And most people choose something where there's an audience that they think is there, but they're not really hungry. And if you choose a really hungry audience business, you'll be really successful very quickly. Based on that, what are you what are you hearing? What what's what uh, what is um, what's been repeated right now with with your audience, with with the people that you're speaking with, in terms of hungry audiences? Where uh, what, what what similarities are coming through? In the southeast, commercial property, uh, space, warehousing, not retail, um, but anything like that, small commercial stuff. There's a huge hungry audience for that, and commercial property in the southeast of England is rising. I don't know about the rest of the country, but I assume it's the same. Uh, they're just not making this stock anymore. So it's really, you know, there's loads of residential. Everyone says there's not enough residential being made compared to the amount of commercial that's being made. It's the, you know, it's not even in the same sphere. So commercial property is still good. Um, uh, childcare in high populated towns. The childcare businesses that are failing are usually in low populated towns. Um, I think there's going to be a rise of leisure when the world goes back to normal, but that's not right now. Uh, vacations in the UK, glamping, camping, all of that stuff, That's there's a real hungry audience for that. Um, great business, but it's a love-want business, not a love-want-need business. Uh, I would say the commercial property in the day nursery are love-want-need businesses. Um, uh, they're, they're, they're the ones that sort of flutter into my mind um, as you said it, but there there are others. Um, you just need to choose businesses that that don't have customers that are fickle as well. This is a I'm putting this all into this book that I'm going to write next year called The Perfect Business. When I look at my day nursery business, it's such a good business because the customers are not fickle. Like they don't like if a new day nursery opens up a mile down the road, they don't change. You don't change your kid's school, do you, just because there's a new school being opened. So they become really loyal to you because they transact with you regularly. So when we look at a great business, they have a good average customer value. 
and a fantastic transactional value and a great lifetime value. There's a big hungry audience for supermarkets right now because of that. And I was thinking about this, Sainsbury's, Tesco, Asda, usually people have a supermarket that they frequent the most regularly. I was thinking, actually, you probably spend a million quid with your chosen supermarket over your lifetime, if you live to like 85, 90, maybe even 100, that's not beyond the realms of possibility for everyone to do that than this current generation. You're transacting with them once or twice a week and you're spending 100 quid each time. You become really loyal and habitual to that supermarket and less fickle to, like if you're a, a Sainsbury's customer, you don't just go, actually, I'll go to Tesco's this week. You're in the habit of continually going to Sainsbury's. Or if you're a Marks and Spencer's customer, you're in the habit of going there. And that's why I think the day nursery model was really good. Less fickle customers, transacting regularly, good average customer value of seven, eight hundred pounds um, a month, and the lifetime value is four years. And if you can find businesses that fit in those, then you're off to the races. That's brilliant right there. Absolutely, because I'm looking at I'm looking at things that we've got around us, and you can see the love, and you can see the want, but you can't see the need. And and, and yeah, I mean, and, most and, businesses and, are love and want. Though, but look, Phil, most of my businesses are love and want, and I, I mm. do worry when I go through this because people have an aha moment when I talk about this little methodology that I've come up with, and then they're like, "Oh shit, that's not me." I mean, no, you can still be super successful with a love and want business, but if you can add yeah. in need, then you you really are going to be fine. Yeah, I mean, we've got a tangible example as we came out of the last lockdown. We've got a salon which has got hair on one floor and beauty on the next floor. So as we came out, people needed their haircut, or they certainly felt they needed their haircut. Yeah, 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 yeah. But no one needed anything else. You know, the rest of the rest of the building remained quiet. So, so let's look at let's look at that business. So that is a love, want, and need business. People love their hair. They want their hair. They need their hair done, right? So it fits that. The problem I have with that is the average customer value is very low. Yeah. And also, so, it's and, and also you can have a, a fickle customer. What? What? Really? Do they go and shop between? I, I've had the same hairdresser forever. Oh well, I think when you're on the other side of it, when you're on the other side of the counter, I think you see it see it differently. I, I think. Right. I think you you do get transient clients. So, so for me, that business, the hairdressing, average customer value is low, but the transactional value, they're probably transacting 10, 12 times a year, maybe a bit more than that. The lifetime value, if the, you look after them, is forever until they lose their hair um, or they move away or they die. Um, so they can literally buy from you until they die or lose their hair. But the the ACV is what would turn me off of that, that business um, because I want to, you know, it's like my farm part, you know, and I look at it like most of our customers spend 25 quid a year with us and they transact with us one and a half times a year. So some people do come really regularly, but we track it as only one and a half times and their lifetime value is four years. So they're only worth a hundred pounds to us as a business. It's really hard to invest into marketing to get those people in because you're only getting a hundred pounds lifetime value. Yeah. And, that would be very similar to your, you know, what's a haircut? 20 quid, isn't it? I suppose, or something like that. I don't know, Yorkshire, six pounds. <laughs> yeah. No, but, but no, you, get no, my, no, but you no, can't, no. there's no point in you spending like we do for our day nursery on Facebook ads and Google ads because they're only going to spend 15, 20 quid with you and it's difficult. Yeah, and you've also got the radius that people are prepared to travel, which you'll have a yeah. much bigger radius for, for an attraction than a, than a salon will have. So, will oh, have, yeah, we, so. so the, the bigger, the better thing about, and that's the other problem uh, with your business, is lack of capacity, but brilliant for Marsh Farm. So we can get 5,000 people in in a single day. You've got the cap on your amount of cap, which is the biggest problem with my indoor play centre business. It's a capacity issue. So when you look at capacity, if you can get capacity, then it works. But, but look, you can still turn a hundred grand profit out of a single salon, I'm sure. And if you had 10 of yeah. them, you make a million quid, but that's a lot of work. I, and that's the, the, the journey that I went with my indoor play business. It makes a hundred grand a year, but if you put a decent manager in, they take a lot of that profit away and you go round and round. So that's why I had to repair the model, if you like. See, when you're running a business, it's all about finding that profitable model and usually it needs a tweak. And so for me, it was taking an indoor play centre and bolting a day nursery on that then 
shares the overhead, um, shares the customer database, shares the commercial kitchen, and you go from making 100,000 on the site to 300,000 on the site, that's a much better model. Um, uh, and yeah, you just got to find those models. Yeah. yeah. Capacity, capacity is one of the ones that really, um, you know, knocks up a business to the next level. Most businesses just don't have big capacity because they're confined by the space they're in, the location they're in, et cetera, et cetera. That's why Amazon's done so well because its capacity is the world. It's, it's also, it's the evolution of your thinking, isn't it? From a small business to a medium sized business to a large business. Yeah, well, so I always talk about this, you know, you go through three stages as an entrepreneur, you build a profitable job. So let's let, let's look at the hairdresser. Um, Chris is the name of my hairdresser. Um, he's got a profitable job. He is, you know, he, he's gigging around in his car, going to different people. He's making decent money. He's got a profitable job. The next stage would be building a profitable business where you start employing people. You've got one salon. Now, the last stage is building a profitable investment, a profitable investment, sorry. What that means is other people's money, pension funds, venture capitalists, want to buy into your business. Does legal in general, the pension fund, want to buy one hair salon? No, because they see it as a profitable business. Would they be interested in 150 hair salons that are making positive EBITDA? Um, yeah, because they'll see that as an investment, possibly. I'm not saying they would, but that it's getting to that third stage. And a profitable investment really is building something that not one private individual wants to buy, but that the stock market wants to buy, that institutional money wants to buy, venture capitalists, angel investors want to buy into. And that's that's the aim of the game. And that's what I've been getting from children's entertainer, family entertainment centre. Right, I've got a profitable business. I need to turn this into an investment that people want to invest into. And that's where the day nursery is bolting on growing it and building it and building an ecosystem that supports each other has come about. And now I have people genuinely come to me all the time offering to buy my business even well incredible two big offers this year and what and, and as well. so the simple simple question with a, a very complex answer i'm sure is why why uh and if you have said no why why would you say no what's the what's the drive is it, is it the long game so say i sell my business for 30 million quid say that was the the number that comes along. I've got 30 million quid in the bank. And what do I want to do? I just want to go and open another zoo, another farm attraction, another theme park. So I'm back to it. And I, I have a real love of the thing that I've built. You know, I've built it literally from being a child. It seems 15 years old. That's when it started. And um, it's difficult to, it's very emotional, you know. It's like your child that you've built up, um, and um, oh, I'd feel very sad to go. But one day I will be going, won't I? Whether it's through death or exit, and um, I need to think about those things. Well, that, that there's a question we always ask at the start of our show, and that lead that leads us perfectly into what is your proudest moment personally and professionally and you can answer in either in either order oh, there's been loads of proud moments uh, professionally um loads and loads um oh dear what's the first one that springs to mind what what came up what was the first one that, that came to the forefront before before many others Run about. Run Probably about. taking over Marsh Farm as one of my proudest moments. You know, I love this place. You know, it's it's in my DNA. Uh, second proudest moment is retaining team members that have been with me for. You know, I'm 35 years old. I've got people that have worked for me for 18 years. I, I am proud of that. That's I think unusual to be able to do that. Um, I've got people that have worked for me. Lots of people that have worked for me for over a decade. It's bizarre, I think, for someone to have done that from the off. Um, writing my books because I hate writing uh, and I forced myself to do it. I didn't piss about with ghostwriters and stuff like that. Um, I forced myself to do it and that makes sure that I'm doing what I say I'm going to be doing. 
Um, I think it really teaches you loads when you write. So all these things that I'm that I can just pull out E plus M capacity, uh, the models that I use, the love, want, and need. Writing has helped me. They're all in there, all in our brains. But when you write, you actually formulate these. Um, headlines for the things that you believe in that makes you a better communicator and personally so uh, and and personally. how much of that yeah because it sounds like say, your personal not being woo -woo. yeah personally not being woo woo um is being a daddy you know that's bloody fantastic i love being a dad um my missus forced me i mean i love children i've worked with children all my life but i kept on putting it off because i thought they would stop me from growing my business take up loads of time which they do um but for all the right reasons you know um i've got a four-year-old and a seven-month-old um and uh they're, they're just fantastic and it's um i think once i want I, i'm i wanted to do a good job as a parent and I think lots of people are parents, but I don't know if they're doing a great job at it. Um, I want to do a good job, but I want to be a, you know, a great dad. Um, and um, I think I'm doing that. Fantastic. And who work, we always, when we finish off the episode before we, we direct people where they can find you is who's your hero and why? Well, some people, I am going to say Richard Branson um, because I read that book when I was 16, he's dyslexic, and he gave me permission, if you can't do something, get others to do it for you. And we're brought up in the United Kingdom is try, try again until you succeed. And he said, no, if you're not good at doing this, just employ someone. And that was like an aha moment. He just taught me in the book, Losing My Virginity, that just played your strengths. If you're good at getting customers, go and get customers. If you're good at sales, go and get sales. Don't force yourself into an admin sales role, bookkeeper role, just because you think that's what you should be doing. And also, when reading that book, learning that how nimble he was approaching to things and how to creatively get things done has forced me to do that in my tiny little way compared to him well i know i've done more than most but obviously there's many more titans than me that have completely gone way and above what i could have ever hoped to have achieved maybe i'll get there maybe when i want to get further but it's just going to take me a bit longer and we're going to have to we're going to have to sign off and there's loads we haven't touched on in terms of you creating a shed load of content consistently so and you've got mike who follows you around with a camera and recording a, a chunk of stuff that you do and um, there's a there's a weird connection between us that um mike uh, is his mum his business partner is john borland now john and phil have worked together and then uh, john came on our show and, uh, and then we were working with, with John and building his personal brand and, and helping with his podcast. And I had a chat with Mike and it wasn't until, I, I knew I, yeah. your, your name resonated, but I, I didn't know where from. And it wasn't until he mentioned the farm and I was in, whoa, whoa, one minute. And then I Googled you and realized we'd met each other, what, three and a half, four years ago at Vayner Media in, uh, in Shoreditch, yeah, Gary Vaynerchuk yeah. uh, event. And we were literally sat next to each other. I remember having a chat with you and I remember you recording your video and you, I think you were in your first year of working with Mike and just correct me if I'm wrong, but it was Gary Vaynerchuk that inspired you to have a, uh, a videographer capture and document everything that you, you do and why you do yeah. it. I am a fan of Gary, although I haven't watched a lot of his content recently, but I have met him and I think he's a lovely, kind, genuine person. Um, obviously, super successful. Um, and I just watched that and I, I, I wanted to speak on stages and I love being an entertainer. And a lot of people have got a fear about being on stage. I've got a fear of not being on stage. And I thought as I got older, <laughs> I could sort of get into the speaking um, area rather than doing the magic that I've always done and and I just saw Gary do it really well and I saw that he made loads of content I thought right I'll start building a personal brand it'll only take a year oh my god it's so much harder than anyone can even fathom doing I've wrote three books I'm writing a fourth book I've done 150 podcasts you know I, I've made over 500 videos on my YouTube channel and it's so hard to break through but I'm not giving up um 
you know, you just got to keep on going, haven't you? And it's, yeah, but one of the other great things about making content is it creates a, a, a metaphorical scrapbook of your business that, you know, you 20 years time, you can look back and say, wow, that's where we was at and look where we are now. Fantastic. Well, James, where can people find you? Where where can we uh, direct people to, to get in touch and see what you do and how you well, do it? My website, jamesinclair.net, um, is the home to get you everywhere. But my YouTube channel is... I think flipping fantastic and it well deserves a subscribe too. And you just go to James Sinclair on YouTube and you shall find me hit the notification bell. So you're notified when we bring out great new videos to help grow your business. Love it. We would love to uh, continue to be in touch and uh, not only watch from afar, but uh, kind of get closer and closer with your journey ahead, which is no doubt going to be exciting and full of uh, full of ups and downs uh, in the year ahead. And um, certainly taking a closer look at Entrepreneurs University. Um, I know before we press record, you promised us that we could have a lifetime access. Wasn't that right, James? No, no, I didn't. <laughs> Yeah, I said you can try it free for 14 days. It's only 50 quid a month. Literally, it's the best 50 quid any business owner can invest. There's literally, you want to know how to do Facebook ads? We've got an app for that. You want to know how to write good copy to get more customers? We've done a module for that. You want to know how to sell on Amazon? We've done a module for that. Property investment is literally all the things that I used to charge thousands of pounds for, like at weekend courses, which I'm never going to do again because I haven't got any time anymore. I've just put it into this. And uh, no contract, yeah, 50 quid a month and you can try it free 14 days what's not to love if that isn't an entrepreneurial sign off to our uh, podcast i don't know what is james thank you so much for joining us today Brilliant. it's been an absolute pleasure my my mind and i'm sure phil's is going 10 to the dozen and we'll have a, a chunk of stuff to, to bounce oh, off uh, bounce i off, hope you still uh, both subscribe to my youtube channel <laughs> you, you're holding us to account here aren't you yeah, but yeah, I hope you have because then two little more subs. I'm trying to, I want to get to 10,000 subs really quick. We're on 8,050 now. And so I just want to get these last, you know, 1,000 because I really feel like we help people on our YouTube channel. It's like, I just think it's the most resourceful. And I would say this because I'm obviously making it, but I just think we make great stuff to help people on there. Um, and I just feel more people need to know about it. You know, it's not some scammy get rich quick stuff, it's like real decent business stuff and i think people should be consuming it to help grow their business and then we can get out of this as an economy to build a better country um because so, we're going to need entrepreneurs more than we've ever needed them to pay all this debt back well you won't only have two well more you won't only have two you'll more have subscribers a, you'll a have we, a wealth we, we reach we've reached over a quarter of a million people so far with a podcast in more than 80 countries worldwide so i'm sure you've uh, provided a, a, a shed load of value to us and our audience and and no doubt that will be that will be given back in many forms to yourself so thanks for joining us Thank you so much for joining us on the Business Lockdown. Please comment, like, share and subscribe to help build our global community. We look forward to seeing you all soon.